<clears throat> I don't know what these things mean. All right, let's start the show. Go ahead. Start. <sighs> All right. Welcome to the Art Last podcast, where we make art and hopefully online culture a little more accessible to you. I'm Sophie and... I'm Seema. And usually we would go into a thing about, like, follow us. We'd have some funny sort of repartee. But today we felt moved to talk about the, the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Mm-hmm. And so, as always, in season two, we now have a new format where we have first a more research sort of um, content-heavy segment, and then we will have a lighter segment. Though in this case, they will both be sort of heavy um, yeah. warning, sort of content warnings ahead. We're going to first talk about the history of, um, and then we're second going to talk a little bit about how do you handle all this visual media? Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously, as people who work in visual culture, we have to look at all kinds of visual media. So, uh, so one of the things we thought we would start with is just like a real crash course in why this is happening historically. Mm-hmm. And I think a great place to kind of look at this is the Dome of the Rock. Um, Can you describe it? Because we're both looking at the video. Describe the building of the Dome of the Rock. Because I think that's a great place to start. Um, So the video I will link in in the episode description as well. But Dome of the Rock is uh, really, really just exquisitely, I think it's like mosaiced. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tile mosaic yeah yeah tile mosaic um temple essentially uh in palestine and it's in uh what would be like a kind of um and i will say it is in jerusalem the city which can yes. also be said to be in israel yes mm-hmm. thank you um it's also in uh what is kind of like a larger closed off area i would mm-hmm. say that's i, I mm-hmm. don't want to say it's fenced it doesn't really have a fence no it's it has just, a it has an outdoor sort of plaza oh, yeah yeah mm-hmm. there we go that's mm-hmm. the kind of description i'm looking for mm-hmm. and there is more than one place of worship Correct. within this square so Seema, Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. the history of this so place? within the dome of the rock resident historian well <laughs> um <clears throat> histor- all of those resident historian resident for sure historian i don't know so within this um this within the Dome of the Rock, you have, and um, I was going to describe it, so I have a picture of it. You have within it um, the Noble Rock or the Foundation Stone. Mm -hmm. um, And it is within that building in the center of it. And for um, Jews, they mentioned that this might be the place, this is the place where the world began. Mm. Now, I think that one of the things that's really useful about thinking about the Dome of the Rock is that it is physical architecture and space that talks about the three religions that are at the crux of the war that we're in. Mm -hmm. And I know that we often talk about Jews and uh, Muslims because um, many Palestinians are Muslims and many Israelis are Jews. Mm -hmm. However, it is important to note that this space is also about Christianity. Mm -hmm. So the Dome of the Rock, you know, if you think about which religion, sometimes people ask me, like, which religion's the oldest? So historically, there was a lot of religions in this area. Um, many different tribes, many people practice many different faiths. And one of them was Judaism. And so around 1000, King David, who is a historical figure, um, mm-hmm. 
rules from Jerusalem, and his son Solomon creates the first temple, which mm-hmm. is at this space. So it is a physical space that was used as a uh, worship space. And then, you know, it's important to note that then that Judaism continues long after Jews don't have political authority in this space. Mm-hmm. So then after that, other people rule, including the Romans, who are not at that time, uh, they are not Jews. They are, they've practiced a Roman faith and um, mm-hmm. not, but the Romans, as we've just learned from the internet that everyone is always thinking about, we have to remember that the Roman Empire is um, an empire that allowed people to practice faiths, right? Because it's it's more, um, as in, if you're building an empire, you're not going to like spend all your time persecuting people, right? Like you'd just rather mm-hmm. let them go. So Judaism persists under the Romans. Uh, they do, I mean, there are moments where they do persecute them like Daniel and the lions, but in general, Judaism still persists through the Romans. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we have Christianity. So if you think of Judaism as being maybe more than a thousand years old, when Jesus is born in Nazareth to a Jewish woman, Mary, and um, God, and, um, uh, and Joseph, and, um, and the stepfather and uh so he's born in bethlehem because Mm -hmm. he they are in transit because uh, this is where i think huh how are you confused by this in the bible jesus is itinerant they're Mm -hmm. on some level itinerant and it's important to note this because in the bible nationhood doesn't really exist like we think of it yes the romans Mm -hmm. are you know they are an empire but they're they're Imperial efforts are basically to take money out of people and have basic authority over land. But borders, other than their empire, within their empire, they're sort of like, eh. you know, and they're mm-hmm. the reason that they're constantly cataloging people in the Bible, in the life of Jesus, is because of tax. They want to earn money off of people. Mm-hmm. Taylor's right? oldest time. Exactly. It's not like. I think it's not like we have this sort of jingoistic concept of nationhood now, like we're better than you. I do think, I mean, the Romans certainly thought they were better than the barbarians, but uh, they weren't, you know, they were, people moved, people moved in history. People Mm -hmm. have always moved. So even as a child, you see there is at the 40 days, he goes to the temple, like he, the, the life of Jerusalem is part of the story of Jesus. And in fact, he goes into, you see there's an art he rides into Jerusalem, right? And then he is crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And um, he is cru- crucified on Golgotha and outside of the gates of Jerusalem. But that space of the Dome of the Rock is where many of where his where he is as a child, you 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 the the temple which, which would have been there. And then um, as an adult, you know, so like that area of Dome of the Rock for a lot of Christians is where Jesus was. He had mm-hmm. that's a physical space that and Jerusalem particularly is a physical space where Jesus had inhabited mm-hmm. that still exists. Right. I mean, like Bethlehem might be interesting, but he was in a manger, right? A wooden yeah. manger no longer, yeah. no longer is with us. So um, so that that is why that is important. 
Mm-hmm. So that's around, let's say, 33 AD. Those scholars have placed it at different places. Then, and I think this is also important for Dome of the Rock, then um, before we get to Islam, Christianity has another moment where mm-hmm. in like the 300s, where the Romans make Christianity the state religion mm-hmm. and Constantine's mother, Helen, goes to basically that site as well, right? Because she goes to Jerusalem to find the Holy Cross mm-hmm. and other relics of Jesus. So she is the first, kind of the first person who is like doing this, you know, path, like the cavalry, basically, right? There, she's trying to take the the stations of the cross, basically. Mm-hmm. She is, you know, she is traveling through this space. And I think that that is a really important, like, predecessor to all the things that we're dealing with, right? She is trying to, I guess, like, get a tangible moment with Jesus, right? With yeah. his artifacts. So then in um, in the 600s, Muhammad, who is also from this area. So now at this point in 600 AD, mm-hmm. we have had people who might, there could be the same person who could have been Jewish and then Christian, same family. Mm. Down a line, you could have been Jewish and then convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And then in the 600s, you could have converted to Islam. Mm-hmm. So your physical claim to that space could still be true. Mm. And so then you have um, uh, at the Dome of the Rock is the site from which Muhammad takes his night ride. Mm. To, 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 um, because Muhammad hears the word of God and he writes it down. So Muhammad's um, not, he is, he is basically, he is not writing it. He is just transcribing what God has told him. And that is Islam. Yeah. And so then very quickly afterwards, this site becomes the first um, Qibla or the first place where you know how to pray towards uh, Mecca. Yeah. And it becomes one of the first temples in Islam. Mm-hmm. And that's in the 600s. So we are we're talking about way before Christ, before America, right? Mm-hmm. Now, soon after, and I think Islam has a very quick rise. Like within within decades, mm-hmm. people convert very very quickly. Many of the people who convert very early on are powerful people. Mm-hmm. And so while Christianity Christianity's real like um, uh, sort of rise comes after it becomes the state religion after Constantine. Yeah, uh, I would say, but um, Islam very very quickly, and I wouldn't say just powerful people, but but in Islam, but unlike Christianity, where it sort of slowly is with le- you know less powerful people and then becomes with more powerful people, Islam very quickly, like because if you think about it, within you have rulers practicing it within twenty thirty years. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> so it quickly takes over, and then um, many rulers who rule the land of Jerusalem practice Islam, and so you have the Dome of the Rock as a space where Jews feel it is the site of the temple. Christian feels that it's the site of Jesus being there. Yep, and then finally it. Uh, Muslims feel it's the site the Muhammad mm. um, to, um, launches towards God. Yeah. 
and I think for us, we see that temple, we see that site, that physical site, you know, with the golden dome, mm -hmm. the gorgeous blue it's so uh, beautiful. tiles. It's so beautiful. And for people who are not faithful, mm -hmm. it is a physical architecture. Yeah. But for all these other, for all these faithful people, it is sacred. Sacred. That's, and I think like yeah. a moment with God, it's a touch with God. Yeah. And so, but I think a part of the, the story that we went to yet is we're still in 600 AD, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the part that has made this very challenging is that for a lot of evangelicals, they believe that Jerusalem and the Holy Lands, as they think of it, <clears throat> needs to be under the control of Jews for the Messiah to come back. Mm -hmm. for the second coming of the Messiah. Mm. And so, and then when he comes back, the faithful um, will rejoice in heaven. Of course, as part of that, then the Jews who are not the faithful, according to the evangelicals, will die, but they need them to be in power. Yeah. And I think that's part of our, part of the thing is evangelicals have such a tie to our government that that is oftentimes what we're also playing into. So given what we now, this historical crash course that you've given us, and for relating it back to kind of words that people may have heard on the internet now and to give them an understanding that I think will also lead us into the next part of this, which is, can you tell us um, about Zionism and what that word means and why it's such a buzzword in relation to what's going on in this history. I think this is such a tough concept because, and I, I think it's important to note that neither of us are Jewish or Muslim. No. And um, so I think that, and I think that another word that's part of Zionism is Aliyah. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember, and I was trying to find a picture of it so that we could put it up, but I don't have it. When I was a kid, I remember. So I grew up in a part of the States that's very Jewish. I grew up with a lot of Jewish people. My father trained at a Jewish hospital. I grew up very with a lot of Jewish people and actually a lot of Muslim people. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember so many people being very upset about this sign. Um, there was a sign that had... It was in downtown Cleveland and it was a, it came up overnight and it was a sign that said, make Aliyah now and Aliyah's A-A-L-I-Y-A-H. Mm -hmm. And it was a image of a painted image of a child with a, um, a Holocaust Jewish star. Right. And so Zionism is this idea that there is a Jewish homeland there, mm -hmm. that there is a land for Jews there. Mm -hmm. And you can, in fact, believe that there is a homeland for Jews there, mm -hmm. but not believe that there isn't a homeland for Palestinians there. And I think that is an important nuance, right? And that's, like, and that's the basis of like the political movement of Zionism, that's right. Right? right? You could believe yeah. you could be Zionist and be a t believe in the two state solution, that there should be a Palestine yeah. and Israel. Yeah, I find it very interesting because I've been doing videos for a couple of days now, mm -hmm. and I've always basic. I've always said the nation of Palestine, the nation of Israel, mm -hmm. and of course there is no official nation of Palestine. Right? No, 
And so I have said it, and until just recently, nobody has said anything. Nobody has commented. I mean, I don't read all the comments, but... That's um, kind of like the idea of First Nations in Australia, right? Like, there were no official nations either, but right. there's now also a movement to refer to communities as First Peoples rather than First Nations, because if there were no kind of established nations, yes. then, like, what kind of language do we use? Yeah, What's appropriate? Yes. And what, like feeds That's the narrative right. of white supremacy and keeps That's like right. colonialism happy and keeps white people like essentially off That's your right. back in terms of those concepts but also like right. establishes you know people's right to land and place that's right that's, um, right that's right and so the zionist movement like gets it really starts before long before world war ii like mm. i don't know six 50 years before world 60 years before world or two something like that mm -hmm. and um and i will say that there's certainly somebody who's a much better scholar of this than me but then what happens is and this is to go back to the sign that i was saying about cleveland mm. that what happens is after world war ii the land and remember that this area had been under colonial control if you think about it since the romans yeah basically Right, the Romans, then the Byzantines, then the um, Ottomans, and then the English. Um, and I'm very much simplifying millennia of history there. But um, yes, this is very much operative. Work. This is Crash the crashest course. course. Yeah. yeah, but that then then after World War II, a homeland for the Jews is created, which is Israel, mm -hmm. out of the land that had been Palestine, mm. and. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is the origins of like right. what we understand as Israel now. Right. And so for and so that comes out of the sort of Zionist belief that there should be a homeland for the Jews. Yeah. And I will say that I would go on record as saying I personally believe in a two state solution hmm. that I do. I do not think that um, the humanitarian crisis is right, but I do believe there is a homeland for the Jews. And I think, you know, I do. And so. Um, I, just, I just I think it's wild that it's kind of a like almost contentious thing to say that there's room for everybody in the world. Yes, I do think it's contentious, and I do not believe it because I am not Christian. I do not want them there because of the Messiah, and oh, that they will no. be killed at the end of the earth. I just want that people to stop good. being killed. That's oh. and that's where I think it's very challenging, and I think it's mm. really important. I've seen so many videos. One thing that I've I think that it's really important to remember that. Jews are not a monolith. So there are no. Jews who are not Zionists. There are Jews who are Zionists who believe in Palestine. Yeah. There are Jews who are Zionists who don't believe in Palestine. And just There's as so Palestinians are not a monolith, than, right? Yeah, yeah. There are Palestinians mm -hmm. who are Christians. There are Palestinians who are Muslims. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one thing that I'm thankful for social media because you can see these voices. Yes. But I also think that because the news doesn't often share them. Mm. Um, yeah. But then to finish the story of the sign from Cleveland, because I think this is really at the crux of U.S. foreign policy, that what so what happens is that that in the United States, though, Zionism is also um, supported by Christians, mm -hmm. but as anti-Semites. Yes, because they want Jews to leave the United States. Yeah. They want them all somewhere else. So there's a, a backing from U.S. Christianity that has its right. own purpose and its own right. kind right. of agenda right. in terms right. of using right. um, this established kind of right. idea and practice for their own gain. Right. And then in the sign, what came out. And so, like, 
as a child, I knew a lot of people who went on birthright trips and yeah. or would settle in Israel, would go basically say, go back to Israel, despite having you know been born in the US. Mm. And so I thought, I think a lot of people thought, oh, this is a very positive sign. Mm. I mean, I do think that there's some level like, you know, I get it. I get that you would want to be in a place where you do not feel persecuted because mm. there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, but it turned out that this sign had been funded by anti-Semites. Mm. And so it was taken down. Mm hmm. And um, but I think that that's an important thing to remember, that on some level, the Zionist movement in the U.S. was to get Jews out of the U.S. When, mm. you know, because of Jews being persecuted in, in Europe, they were some of the first people, yeah. the first use of the word Holocaust, right, is the English. Um, well, also, like, we wouldn't have had all of those contemporary architecture movements and huge, like, shifts oh, I mean, in, absolutely. like, culture and landscape if, like, people didn't come and settle here. No, I mean, um, Jews are central to the American art story for everything sure. Everything here. Architecture. Everything. Yeah. Um, but they were also here. Like, you can't say that, you know, if we were all settlers on this land here, not the Native Americans, but... Everybody else who showed up. Well, the only place I belong in is Scotland, really. <laughs> yeah, like so, like so, for you to say that you want to expel the Jews when Jews have been here since New Amsterdam. Yeah. So I think for for me, one of the big challenges is when people are well, they're Zionists. Uh, well, you also like sent them over here, right? Like you pushed yeah. and pushed and pushed. I think that one of one of the things that's really come up for me during all of this. And I do want to get into the U.S.'s um, mm -hmm. like kind of monetary involvement in this mm -hmm. in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that this has really brought up for me and what I think is fascinating and how it's all kind of happening at the same time mm -hmm. is, you know, there's a lot of parallels to me about Australia and settlement and how these things function and the idea mm -hmm. That, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. what we see from First Peoples communities in Australia is very much the narrative of like well look we know that like you guys are never gonna leave <laughs> you know like you're here you're here to stay and from you know basically since settlement the idea that you know people and i think a lot of first people's communities not everyone obviously nobody's a monolith but the idea has been like well how do we make it work you know we had a referendum in australia very recently which was, you know, put to the, the people of Australia, which was, you know, can we give these people who are of the land and have, a, you know, cultural and ancestral, you know, right to landscape, can we give them representation in parliament? And Australia voted no. And it was like a landslide, basically, push in the wrong direction. But the... The mentality that I think we see from First Peoples in Australia, which is very much just like, well, how do we share? You know, how do we all coexist? Is something to kind of take a look at and move forward with, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you also said, just said something that I think is really important in a lot of the comments I'm getting. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people have said, well, you know, the Ashkenazi Jews are just um, Europeans. Mm. Now, actually, ethnically, there's been research that indicates they're not that they are not just Europeans, mm -hmm. right? That they are also um, have uh, you know um, Middle Eastern ancestry. But mm. independent of their genetics, 
they're also there now. You know, like, I think one of the things I find so interesting is that Americans are often very, live in very mixed ethnic Mm. groups, right? Like, Mm. uh, sorry, I mean, like, white Americans are, like, Scottish and Irish. Like, where are you going to go? Half of you is going to go to one place and half is going to go to the other? You know, like, I'm Polish and and, uh, I'm Polish and I don't know what. Mm. Um, Polish and Italian. Mm. You're going to go to both half of you guys. Like, like, so like what you're going to split? Like, so like, so there's nowhere back. Yeah. But that's also true in other places. Yeah. Right. It is also true. But your argument about that person. Yes, I get that. But like what we need to focus. And this is where I think we are not focusing on the humanity. Mm. We're not focusing on the bad political choices that Netanyahu's government, that the American government, Mm. like, you know, there are things that I think still are wrong. It is still wrong to bomb a hospital. Now, I know there's a lot of politics about that and who bombed it. And it doesn't actually, to me, intellectually matter at this point. A no. hospital has been bombed. And one with like a church inside that was really old and, mm-hmm. you know, and a huge established part of that community and that space. Like it's just, there's there's no justification for it. And I think that's where like you hear the crash course, you've gotten to this, the end of our podcast and mm. or near the end of the podcast. And um, um, actually all that history, all the things you've heard up to now don't actually matter. Like, like that's the point to me about this episode. Mm. Right. It doesn't actually matter. Oh, I don't think I define like a defined Aaliyah. No. Aaliyah means that you return. It's the Zionist practice of returning or settling in Israel. Mm, OK. Yeah, that um, is super important. <laughs> and um, but it doesn't matter if now you've settled there to me. It doesn't matter. I mean, I do not believe that you should settle in the West Bank. But no, to me, what doesn't matter is what your genetics is. It actually no longer matters to me mm. if you're indigenous. Because mm-hmm. Lord knows the people who are saying that do not believe that indigenous people have rights in the place they live in. Yeah. It doesn't matter who had the political authority, right? No. What right now is that there is a humanitarian crisis. Mm. I guess before we segue, just one thing I do want to um, talk about is the U.S. kind of, I guess, monetary involvement in all of this. And just like briefly in terms of crash course stuff, um, Israel is able to keep uh, operating under this structure, essentially, where they are able to forcibly push people, you know, across, you know, borders that keep changing as determined by their state, basically, because of the the extraordinary funding that they get from the US government. And this is because the US government has a vested interest in having a presence in the Middle East. So how how are you dealing with all of this crazy media? So I think one of the ways that I am really trying to process a lot of the stuff that I'm consuming, I think I'm quite lucky, you know, I live in proximity to people who have processed a lot of secondhand information like this before. My sister worked as a human rights lawyer for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so she always has really good advice on how to uh, kind of consume without absorbing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a very useful thing. And because, you know, this is where things become kind of. I think things can become kind of slippery in terms of how we consume media and what happens 
when we've kind of reached a, a tipping point in terms of what we're able to kind of hold on to because you know i have spoken for a long time about the idea of ethics of consumption as well as creation and i think one of the things that because you know i've been thinking about this a lot especially because when there's a call from the western media and from people who are involved in the western media to take a break put social media away look away makes me so mad under the desk really fucked up and revealed themselves and i'm glad that they did because i thought that they were compromised for quite a while now um Mm -hmm. so i think that and this is where it becomes really like quite a complex thing about the idea of even just consuming content right and how we relate to the idea of consuming content which is that there's these people who are in these structures of power and who are upholding these structures of power are relying on you to look away and to disengage Mm -hmm. and to not Mm -hmm. be present in your empathy for people Mm -hmm. who are being forcibly pushed and shoved into smaller and smaller borders through extraordinary acts of violence that under you know any other context you know under the context of ukraine people think is you know a human rights issue and now apparently it's Mm. not Mm. so I think that we have to a certain extent a responsibility to consume this content and to have an understanding Mm -hmm. of what is going Mm -hmm. on and to be informed. Mm -hmm. You know, you said something earlier that I thought was so important. I'm going to say it again. Mm. We often hear about these things now in TikTok before we read it on the news. Yeah. I think another thing you said, and I think this is in that same breath, was that, but once you see it on TikTok, you need to check it. Yeah. And I do think that's part of it. Like, yeah. And like, I, you know, I <laughs> consume it on TikTok and then go and find like a verified article. Um, yes. Yes. And that's, yes. that's something that like even I struggle to kind of regulate mm-hmm. in myself. Mm-hmm. But I think that one of the most important things, and this is one of the things that I want to stress to people, is that at a certain point, like we know that consumption of extreme violence like this, especially mm-hmm. when you're coming from a position of privilege, especially, you know, someone mm-hmm. like me, at a certain point, there is a moment where watching to stay engaged and informed tips into trauma porn. Mm-hmm. 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 But the ways in which I try to stay aware of when, like, it's no longer informing me to understand the situation and I'm just consuming suffering. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is one of the reasons to really try and stay cognizant of the moments when you're consuming suffering Mm -hmm. and then try and shift that to informed content and something that's going to teach you and help you to be able to have a conversation with other people. Mm -hmm. Because also Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things is expressing how consuming conflict makes you feel. And this is kind of, um, Oh, that's such a good point. Well, this is like the advice I've gotten from my, you know, ex human rights lawyer sister. One of the best pieces of advice that she's kind of given me is to journal and to process it out of your body and to kind of get it out of your kind of internal space. And then also, it's not really her main advice, but I think that one of the things that we've discovered even in just our relationship with each other is the ability to talk about these things and to have an understanding of how they relate to our own experiences of violence and how it's, you know, your contextual understanding of violence in your own life can kind of be applicable to a wider 
kind of world around you as well. Um, I do think that that last thing you said, I've been thinking a lot about how so many people's takes on this on the internet mm. is based partly on their own personal, like they personalize it, right? I mean, you have yeah. to. So people treat me badly. I feel very upset about this. Mm -hmm. But I do think also these religions have some, some of them have this sort of culture of persecution, right? Like mm -hmm. in both Judaism and Christianity, they were persecuted intermittently historically to go mm -hmm. back to the first segment. And I can hear that in the way that they relate this these these situations. I mean, I think that when we talk about Zionism, Zionism came for a real reason. Yeah. The Jews have been persecuted for centuries. Mm. The idea that people should have a place to be able to live and worship and be is not yeah. a bad thing. But you know, but forcibly you can worship and be. Out of their that's right. Light. You can worship, yeah. and I think that's where, to me, like you can worship and be, um, but not at the expense of others. Exactly, exactly. And I think so. When you're looking at media, make sure that the media isn't teaching you to persecute somebody. I think that's mm -hmm. where I think like mm -hmm. that's where mm -hmm. like when I listen to videos, like there was the one that um, I stitched uh, about um, a person who's from North Carolina. Mm -hmm. who made Aaliyah, married, it looks like she married an Israeli, and then is celiac, so made gluten-free cookies. Oh, no, that, that woman who is like, yeah, my, the hardest part of my day, life in a war, is finding yeah. gluten-free. But I think that, like, that kind of, that's where that person has not consumed enough media about this. They're in some sort of silo where they thought that would be okay. And I think you do have to consume enough media that you know that that is wrong. Yes, Yes. I mean, it's not that, I mean, I hope that I do not, like, I don't, I do not want Israelis, including her, mm. to be at har in harm's way. And oh, I have no. many friends and um, that are in Israel that are Israelis. I want them not to be in harm's way. Of course. But also, I want not Palestinians to be in harm's way. I do also wonder, I think a part of the other thing that's really interesting to me about the media and consuming it is mm -hmm. many Americans who live in cities probably ha are around vibrant Jewish communities, yeah. not to mention there are many Americans who are Jews. There are not as many Americans who are Palestinians, either Christian or Muslim. Mm. Um, and so as a result, there are probably fewer Americans who know Palestinians. Yeah. And I've thought a lot about that, that... I could name, I don't know, a dozen people I know who are Israelis, mm -hmm. who are in Israel or Israelis in the United States, mm -hmm. easily. I can, you know, like, and I think many Americans would be, any any urban American probably has a, is in that same situation. And beyond that, I think most Americans, even if you don't actually know a Jewish person, which, I mean, I'm sure there's places in America where people do mm -hmm. not know Jews, right? Like, But every American knows um, Adam Sandler. Um, knows uh, who's another famous Jewish person. Uh, he, he had that whole song where he, <laughs> the Hanukkah song where he names all the famous Jewish people. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Actually, Jamie Lee Curtis's father is Jewish. Um, oh my God, like, she's been saying some vile shit on the internet. Yeah, I mean, she is. But um, but her father was Jewish. Um, mm -hmm. He's no longer with us. Uh, Kirk Douglas Michael Douglas. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, obviously I'm not so pop culture-y. Oh, Mila Kunis. Yeah. 
I mean, there, there's so many people who they could name maybe that they don't even know are Jewish, right? Well, especially in the entertainment industry. Natalie Portman. Yeah. He's yeah. Israeli and Jewish mm-hmm. and American. Mm-hmm. And I mean, but like, I think that the thing to me that is hard for Palestinians and the reason I think it's important to consume media where you hear their story yeah. is that they, in our American consciousness, don't have an equal um, voice. This is why representation matters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would say keep consuming content and then hopefully if you can be able to try and recognize the point when it's not uh, informed content and you're slipping down into the other side of what West, Western media kind of wants from you, which is to consume trauma and suffering and to keep scrolling. Yes, that's right. Be informed, but do not engage in that. Mm. And it's so, and it, like, I can't, it's, it's not easy. No, <laughs> like this is no. not an easy thing and an easy no. kind of like uh call out to people. Like I, I know this personally in and of myself, especially when you've grown up in Western media. Right. And mm-hmm. like you, mm-hmm. you don't have this ability to kind of step outside it and be objective. Mm-hmm. Like there mm-hmm. is, even when you yeah. are media literate, you know, and yeah. you kind of have, and, an, I think and you are app- critical, like you can still no exactly and i think the app you know we came we a lot of americans started using the app during a trauma response Mm -hmm. during Mm -hmm. covid and so we have used it and doom scrolled and so now we're doom scrolling a war yeah and i think that for Uh a lot of americans doom scrolling like an ethnic ethnic cleansing yeah yeah (sighs) yeah you're right you're right and that is where i think this is when, like, if doom scrolling was bad before, it's worse now. And you cannot, you can't just mindlessly consume it. Yeah. Just give yourself the space to, yeah, know your limits and know when uh, it's not conducive to your understanding and education and is going to prevent you from being able to help other people in a day to day context. So um, with this non-traditional episode, we will end sort of traditionally and say, if you have other thoughts or if you wanted to share anything, please email us at artlustpodcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. and follow us at artlust underscore podcast on TikTok. Thank you for listening. Thanks, friends. And be be well Indeed. as much as you can be. Um, and we hope that this has helped in some way uh your understanding or to feel less alone in trying to navigate uh this scary world where bad things seem to be happening